Hello, welcome back to TVI. Carl Donnelly here. Julian Dean. Um, welcome back. This is um, this is um, one of uh, I think this is our second of these sort of little special episodes where casting the net wider. Yeah, we've decided. You know, we get comedians on every week for our main episode, but we thought we'd do another little episode some weeks where we get somebody who might be sort of maybe from the outer regions of comedy or from some other different walk of life that's interesting. So we it's had a Tony really Sales. fun one, wasn't it? It's really interesting. Yeah, so we we thought, right, this is a weird one, because um, this is somebody who used to be uh, a very well-known agent in the UK, Paul Dudridge. Um, I don't know why I added a sort of syllable into his name there. It's Dudridge. <laughs> um, but... He uh, he was yeah he was basically the agent for some of your favourite comedians, biggest comedians in the UK, Michael McIntyre, uh, Rob Brydon, loads. There's loads of them. But um, and he sort of he was around. He sort of caught the end of. He basically discovered McIntyre, didn't he? Yeah, it's not um, his words, but that's what I I think that was in McIntyre's biography, wasn't well, it? Yeah, he was his he was his agent that sort of spurred him on. Phil not, Jupiter's Rob Brydon. Yeah, Jupiter was one. He was very uh, influential in the creating the Phil Jupiter we know today. Um, and then he was an agent until late two thousands, the first two thousand, the decade. What do I don't know? What do we call that one? I don't know. The late two thousands. Is that what's? Is it just called the two thousands? That sounds like you're talking about the whole millennium. Oh yeah. I don't know. Anyway, but then he decided to. Um, to call it quits and he upped sticks moved to america and now does other things so we thought we'd have a little chat to him and we just, it's wicked we'd hear all about he's that. a good he's a good chat as well isn't good he? chat um and talking at just it, i find it fascinating listening to that how the comedy is that side of today. It, yeah because yeah, like you know you hear about the alternative comedy of the 80s now we know it's all big tv comedy and stuff um but that sort of in between bit where we both started that sort of the sort of decade before that you never really hear much about. You just remember seeing like Lee Evans and you know Billy Connolly. Yeah, you don't really. So it, it, I, I found it fascinating hearing about and comparing those times to now and what comedians were like. Yeah, yeah, before social media, essentially. Well, yeah, because I think a lot of people now, comedians now, are quite sort of you know tribal, and I think we often think that it's more tribal than it used to be, and we'll hear that you know. Paul has slightly different opinions on that. He thinks comedians are quite similar to they always how they always have been. Yeah. Anyway, it's fun. It's interesting. Thanks for listening. Thanks for, enjoy it. Thanks to our patrons yeah. who have signed up on www.patreon.com forward slash we are TVI. Thank That's you. That's it. Enjoy. Welcome to TVI yes. podcast introduction by Julian Francis <laughs> Dean of TVI. Um, we've got Paul Dudridge as guest in, in the house. Arguably oh. one of the most professional looking setups we've had of any guests during lockdown. Got Indeed. an actual padded wall, unless you're we're, you're zooming us from a mental hospital. <laughs> but um, you've got no and lovely. I have to be quick. I have to be quick because it starts taking a photo in a minute, and then I have to go and get the rest of my passport. <laughs> um, so anyway, this was that was Julian's first ever intro after two years of us doing the podcast. I think it was excellent. Well, not quite. Like, not quite. It was on the way to being the first intro, but it was certainly you've done a high percentage of an intro there. You're probably. 
You've, just get you over the finishing line. Just have another. Have, well, I didn't just, just... do. I didn't say my name and then. Carl, you say your name, and then we do the guest, don't That's we? That's true, actually. It's, I mean, yeah. it's, we're in uncharted territories, though, so I just thought we'd just go with it and see what happens. I mean, I mean, you've taken me to deep waters with this. <laughs> <laughs> Only you could. T- That's like when we, me and Julian did some uh, some tour shows together where um, it was a double-header tour. We were both meant to be doing, like, 45 minutes. And like we agreed, I'll go on second just uh, just because I'm, I'm I'm less of a, I'm less stressed about gigging essentially. And then on the way to almost every gig, Julian would say to me, "How long do you want me to do?" As if it was as if he was a support act. <laughs> it's like it's a double header tour, mate. You're, it's your half. You do what you. But what about do. what about in Tunbridge Wells? Cole brought me back out on the second half to do well, ten just, minutes I of said, crowd work. I went to just go out and do some crowd work. <laughs> it was fucking funny, mate. Absolutely to the roof off. I just but, think um, you know. <laughs> You need to relax. I mean, wonder if that roof's fixed. They probably sorted that out over lockdown. <laughs> so what? So Julian, Julian has a problem relaxing doing live shows. I mean, that, yeah, anyone who knows him would know that's that. That's the um, case. The first, the first one was especially. I don't know for some reason we were in Corby or Derby. Where, Where were we? Was, Derby. Yeah. No. Well, it was. I it know what you're talking about. It was up near Stoke or something, wasn't it? It was some. Yeah, it's it a lovely West, little area. North, yeah. It was a lovely little theatre. For some reason, I was just in my head. It was the first one we did. But the others, I was only kind of like 70% in my head. This one, I was, <laughs> you know, going into the 90s. Um, but yeah, so anyway, that was why you can see the... the um, when I like to you... give them a good show and be 100% focused, you know. Yeah, on underrunning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Daddy Mac used to call me Julian Dean 17. Because <laughs> the girls are like, no, nah, not really, because of my... Um, can, we, can, we, can we cut? Because he met a few of my side teams. Um, can, can we cut that bit out? Absolutely not. Anyway, Paul Dudridge, all the way from uh, from LA, right? Yes, yes, I'm cool. in Los Angeles. What part of Los Angeles do you live in? What's East LA. East LA. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, I live in is the least a... salubrious part. Oh, yeah. is it? I don't really, because I didn't really know anything about LA geography until I went there. Was it last year? I went to visit some mates and um, and I loved it. But uh, yeah, they, they live in, one of the, one lot of them live in Silver Lake, which is fucking well okay. nice. That's a bit of a It is right, nice, it? yeah. That's like, what is it, East Hollywood? It's just the other, other side is. of East Hollywood. If you carried on on that, I don't know if you went up Sunset, but if you go Silver Lake yes. and then over the bridge, yeah. I live on the other side of the bridge, basically. Okay. So how, but how, where, where, the, where Greece, where the T-Birds had that race down oh. the LA Thunder, River. Thunder Road, you mean? Is that, I thought Thunder, Thunder Road. Road was Tom Cruise, wasn't it? No, I'll meet you at Thunder Road, we're playing for pinkies. Oh, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Is that is that... <laughs> Pinkies is logbooks, isn't it? Like pink slips is oh, like is car ownership. That's right, a pink slip. Yeah. 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 Um, I never and, knew uh, that. What, that so it's basically they... like, which, a, which like an old deserted, like, concrete canal. The one that you always see on YouTube. No, it's the LA the River. Drowning. It's the LA River. Oh. Well, it's, dra- it's dry, is it? Well, a lot of the time it's dry or just a, a small trick. That's why whole, I didn't catch you know, anything when I was fishing. <laughs> the, um, if you, you know that film Chinatown, it's all about oh, yeah. the 
it's all about you know getting water into LA. This was the big deal. This is why LA can actually exist because they're basically Tesco they nicked the water from yeah because they <laughs> nicked the water from the Colorado River and and the LA River is just this concrete looking trench basically and that's oh, why okay. they, you know they usually use it for T-bird racing. Oh okay. Um, yeah, so that's made it into a lot of films, isn't it? There's a lot of yeah. unlawful. Uh, car race a lot of car chases end up there they always end up in exactly 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 because they can go up the side a bit can't they silver lake onto that Mm. what's that love they 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 can go up the sides the cars it looks pretty cool doesn't it they do they do It's, it's stopping them is the trick but then when you get like so this winter we'll get our deluge i think we get like 30 days of rain a year or something and then it gets really really full it's like a really mad rolling oh, no. river but yeah most of the year it's just this kind of it looks like um, as you say an abandoned drainage yeah well Pit. anyway but la so i think a quick biog so people know who you are in terms of like you've got an interesting sort of trajectory haven't you, you started out as a comedy well actually but what did what did you do before comedy management um, I was a promoter, actually. I, I had, I'll tell you what it was. It, I wasn't in comedy at all, still, and, and then wasn't, uh, arguably. And then uh, definitely not now. Uh, so, you know Simon Randall? Do you know that um, yeah. the headliners. headliners gig? Yeah. Lovely I bloke. was, I basically shared a flat with his brother, Ben, in the 80s. And then in 1990, Simon came back from college and we went to the Acton Banana. There was still an act, there was an Acton Banana. Do, uh, do, did you ever... I'm at the Ballon Banana this weekend. Oh, right. Well, they had this outpost in, uh, in Acton for a while. They must have started in the mid-80s, something like that. And basically, Simon came round after we went to this gig and said, like, do you want to start a comedy club? So we started uh, first month of ni- 91. We started uh, what was Har Bloody Har at the time. And we started at Ealing College. Oh, it's Thames Valley University. What was the idea behind starting a a club at that time? For you, you were both into watching stand up, were you, or you just thought it'd be a a good business? This is going to sound terrible. My whole thing was look, my life is going to be abject failure. I might as well fail at something that I quite enjoy watching. And that was the only reason, to be honest. I was just, you know, I was just hanging around London like everybody else was, you know, signing on and all sort of odd jobs and all that kind of stuff. And like I said, Simon came up with this thing and uh, I must have been 20 something, 21, I think. And uh, so we we did it. And the first week was like this mad roaring success. And then the second week, nobody came. He carried on with it, went on about six weeks. But again, everything was so telescoped that, you know, again, I'm sure it's the same on the circuit now. But then there was so there was such a kind of bush telegraph that the very fact that we'd been doing, we'd been in the business for six weeks or something made us veterans then, you know, and then somebody (laughs) was giving up, somebody was giving up. So ho ho was the thing. There was a comic who was like tired of doing so ho ho, which was a Thursday night gig. And then I took that over about six weeks later, Uh, Simon and I parted company. He carried on and he took over the viaduct. Yeah. He kept it at the viaduct in Hanwell. And then uh, that turned into a real success. And now he's got the permanent fixture at uh, Headliners, which is a great club. But uh, we stayed friends and everything. But I just, you know, he really likes being a comedy promoter. He was like, I think he was the booking 
he did the ent ents management at Bolton University or Bolton College or Manchester, you know, whatever it was, some northern seat of learning. And so that he'd like really got the bug for it then. I wasn't so bothered. I just like it was it was that all playing snooker, signing on. So it was it was fun. That's my business this... model. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I took over Soho. And the thing is, it was only time out then. Only time out was the only point of reference for any comedy. That, it, it was, was like that forever thing. though, really. Because I remember like when I started out, time out was the only play. Like I told you, time yeah. out was everything. Like every, that was what was, that was one of the things that suggested when you're new, get time out. Get time out because it had the it. phone yeah. I never bought it once. Oh really? I used to, I used yeah. to I, when I started that was I got time out, called up a bunch of the new app places, make can I have a geek please? <laughs> and then you know What year uh, was that? So what year was that uh, you were doing? Two thousand and five or two thousand four. Wow. And then two thousand five. So basically I did a hand a couple of gigs in two thousand four and then it two thousand five was when I properly started was gigging it, was it, regularly. Listen, it, there, to me, and I'm jumping ahead, but I'll get back to the uh, talking about me, me, me. But for you, if you've been around for what 15, 16 years, then is it recognizably basically is it just ridiculously more difficult now to uh, for anybody new to actually start making money? Oh, uh, yeah, the answering the call, and it you was still even got when the you started. Time out. Are you still using the same time out to get gear? <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, do you know what? I'd say. It is, it's, I reckon it's harder to make money now, even like, yeah, yeah, even for when you like the sort of it used to be open spots. If you're decent, you get another, you get like a paid 10 or something. You, the progression was quick, but you know, if once you got in the clubs, the money was decent. If you're doing it a lot, if you did any sort of TV, radio, the money was decent, you know, but then sort of. Mm. Apart from the big names now, even in television, like the, the fees for most stuff on telly is cack, really, like, you know so, what yeah, I mean. Yeah. So actually, you know, there are people that you, there were, there are comics and now that have come up in the last five, 10 years that are doing the odd bit on telly that have still got fucking jobs and stuff. Like, whereas that's unheard mm. of. When I started, yeah, that was yeah. when the TV boom, I started just as the TV boom happened. So suddenly that was when McIntyre and that all blew up they, right, when I was right. a brand they drive, new open They spot. drive their Uber to um, mock the week. <laughs> <laughs> but but, but it's true. You know, it's like, it felt like you could progress to make a living from just stand up much quicker if you were good because there was less comics but also i think there was much more of a you know you do a bit of telly and you can suddenly just start selling out a big tour you'll make like shit Absolutely. loads of money whereas now there are people that have done loads of telly that can't sell 30 tickets in fucking in the middle well, of you've wherever had the you've gone through the saturation there this is the thing it's turned into kind of glam rock in the 70s it's just that, that everybody well, I was lucky and I didn't realize how lucky I was that, again, I'm not a performer and I was still able to ride the coattails of something like that comedy. Uh, and I take your point, the comedy boom on TV is definitely from about 2004, five. But the comedy boom as the industry, I would say I just got lucky. It was about 91, 92 that it began. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was able to get in via opportunist that I am. And I was just able to learn absolutely everything about business and industry and people and everything without there being any pressure on it. You know, it was like everything was still forming. Yeah, yeah People yeah. like Off the Curb and Avalon had been sort of established for three, four years by that point, 86, 87. Yeah. And they were, they're, they're proper business people. I was just more of a kind of, uh, uh, what's the word? Yeah, ja uh, Jackaroo. Just, uh, I would just turn up and felt happy I was in show business. I was lucky to be in show business, basically. And so I was able to get the non-pressurized, easy kind of, 
and again, the money was mad. The money was mad from day one. You know, it was the thing I went from signing on to suddenly being able to earn a living. And then 12 months later, I was employing staff. You know what I mean? It was crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, was, it was. So, so what, wait, who was your first act you signed? I think it was Tonkinson. Oh, really? Sure. Yeah. Tonkinson. And then there was people like Pat Condell. Oh, but yeah, in that first wave. He's now like a YouTuber uh, or something, isn't he? I never saw him do stand-up. He is. He's massive on YouTube. He's massive. I mean, he gets like, he's got like a million views every video now, Pat Condell. Bloody hell. And uh, yeah, weirdly, I saw Bill Bailey about 10 years ago, something like that in London. Because I've been, I've been in LA for about 12, 13 years. So I occasionally go back on some work stuff. And I saw Bill Bailey and he was, he turned me on to what Pat was doing. And it is just, he is the arch libertarian free speech this is a great one yeah so he's like pro brexit pro trump and everything and so you know i love him but he got taken out <laughs> it was great i saw him i saw i saw pat condell about four or five years ago in london for a drink and he said that there was these two comedians who i shan't name here but i'll tell julian and anil grass but they basically invited him out for a drink they invited him out for a drink we are tv <laughs> they took him to the pub and said you're gonna to have to drop all this you're gonna to have to drop all your right-wing politics or you were basically removing your comedy fraternity card you're out of the uh you're out of the circuit you're out of comedy so he was um he so was sent to he's headlining comedy unleashed this week everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um it's yes yeah, so, i mean it's a fascinating uh trajectory it's quite a common trajectory i think currently of uh comedians ending up being contrary youtubers yeah yeah it yeah. doesn't go to well, plan no but. you're right you're right i mean i'm seeing it more and more there's that you've got that thursday night monthly thing at uh but yeah that's place, that's comedy unleashed that's what I mean, Paul, not, yeah yeah that's not but i'm not like i'm not digging them out actually you know i've got mates who've done it and do it and like it's um i've got a sort of bit of a you know, when it's like, it's, it, it sort of sells itself as a gig where you can say what you wouldn't say at another gig. But then I've seen clips of people that they're just doing stuff that I've seen them do at other gigs. I'm like, well, what's, what's the point in that then? Well, no, this <laughs> is the point, isn't do it? it. Do a, you know, people like Scott Capura do it. I've never seen Scott Capura pull any punches on a gig in my life. You know what I mean? So I feel like it's sort of... I don't. I. I think the everything they're doing there's fine, but I just. I. I'm, I wouldn't sort. Of, I think it's a bit of a marketing tool, is what I'm saying. It's I was not... just about to say, but that's the noble history of comedy. This is, I think, the dichotomy with comedy. That people think that they're in this kind of artistic brethren, this fraternity, this sorority, this this kind of group of traveling minstrels, and it's nah, like mate. actually, it's a big marketing gig. And, and also, what happens is full you of get solo, that saturation, full of sort of, it's a solo sport as well. It's full of individuals yeah, yeah. who actually are yeah. ultimately up against each other. And I think that's why, yeah, there's a lot of com comedians who are super nice on the surface Thank you, oh, yeah. and would absolutely oh. cut your throat to get on fucking live at the Apollo. Do you know what I mean? That sort of. You're welcome. <laughs> You wouldn't, you wouldn't get anyone's throat to get on it, mate. Um, <laughs> I would. No, you're absolutely right, and 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 that's the. But I say I think that's okay. I, that's why I'm very kind of. Uh, I like to. So I was objective at the time when I when I was actually in management. I just couldn't take any of it seriously or believe any of the. Um, or believe any other hype. I remember uh, who was the guy that used to produce John Peel's show. He became like a, a radio celeb in his own right, and. Uh, 
uh, and I can't remember, John somebody, but uh, he was always going on about going to heavy metal gigs, you know, and uh, he'd say like they'd come out dressed as Saxons or Vikings and go, I'm Thognock from the planet Ra. And he'd go like, didn't he deliver my papers? Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, it, it's all, the whole thing is just showbiz and marketing. And if you can elbow your way to the top and get a bit of attention and get a car, brilliant I well mean, yeah that's, that's yeah like, that's the thing i don't really begrudge anyone for it after no. i think you know i think some people buy into it you know it's a whole edinburgh thing of you know mm. sort of the cynical edinburgh pr type you know making your show sound like it's more important and yeah it's more pathos yeah. than there is it's just now you know it's 45 minutes of fucking knob jokes and then 15 minutes about your dad dying and suddenly you're just like I'm just getting into well, the heart and, and of everything. And, and it all, yeah, it's yeah. so, exactly, it's so insincere. That all grew up out of, yeah, well, when, when it was the, um, the Fringe, it was all theatre, and then it got hijacked by the comics, and they found they could only get it reviewed if they called it a theatre show. Yeah, but also, I, it's that that thing, but again, I don't up. really begrudge people for doing it. I get it. It's, it's sort of playing yeah, the I game, it. isn't it? Edinburgh is, a, ultimately, Edinburgh is thousands and thousands of people trying to be noticed. So I feel like sometimes people are a bit harsh on comedians that, go for a bit of a sneaky PR stuff. Well, no, the comedians are harsh on comedians. That's what I'm saying. I really love everything they're doing. I think it is marketing, and I think it's just attention-getting 101. That's the yeah. game. And whatever the market is, if, you know, if basically if everybody's wearing black this year, then invest in white because that's what's going to happen next year. If everybody's left-wing now, start a right-wing comedy club and, and vice versa, you know? Totally, totally down with that. I'm saying it's the comedians that seem to be really horrible to each other about it, as if that there's some other expectation on them to have some kind of. They're virtue. taking it seriously, aren't they? They're taking. They really the, believe it. The smoke and <laughs> but, mirrors seriously. Yeah, yeah, that is. But I, I don't know. Is that? Do you think that is that always? But this is actually a good question though, because you've been around so like much longer than us. Were was oh, that no. always the case? Like, were comedians always? at each other's throats as much as now yeah, just yeah. Is it just social media yeah bob mills makes a really good point that at one when he started there was four times the number of comics than there were gigs in the in the country so you could always have a bill every night and those four could rotate the number of gigs increased but let's say they went up threefold the number of comics went up a thousandfold oh, easily yeah easily and so it really is just a bare-toothed kind of venal. Um, it, it is like um, battle royale, you know. But what? And but it's, but it's been nowadays. Amplified. It's much. There's you, you see much more public arguing among comedians. Obviously, there's a platform like Twitter or something or Facebook when they're all digging each other mm. out in public. Was there ever that sort of thing going on? Was there was no was it? I suppose people, you couldn't the, see it publicly, could you? It might. Well, have but you could do it on stage, I suppose. You could do sort of a. Yeah, yeah. I, I, would take the piss I out remember. of some people on stage. Is that something that happened back then? Yeah, was that no, a absolutely. It was yeah, done I with graffiti was... outside their house. <laughs> and t-shirts made up. <laughs> so I'll start a rumor. No, the um, the, it, there was one comic. There was one comic I remember. There was a, there was a, a comic called Nick Wilty started. Um, and I know uh, Nick. Yeah, he must have Nick, with yeah. Really, really good comic. And he'd come out of the army. And so when he started on the circuit, his basically I just remember his politics not quite jiving with the supposed right onness at the time. And he's well, a terrible he fought, did he fight to... in Fort, the Falklands. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, on their side though, that's the yeah. Thing. No, yeah, he, he was, he, he was. Um, I think he was a spy. 
but yeah, he uh, yeah he fought in the Falklands with uh, you know with great uh, with with great honor, and he uh, so when he you know when he hit the circuit, he's already had like the long just hair. Just clarify, we don't things. know how honorable he fought. <laughs> he might we be don't. Rubbish. We have no. I have not seen. <laughs> might his have been war hiding. <laughs> but, but I know we know Nick, but I, yeah, all I, I know about him. Nick is what I've seen in the movies. That's it. Yeah. That's all I know about his war story. But anyway, the point is, I just remember this comedian chasing him around London one night. I don't even know if he's aware of it. Going from gig to gig because he'd said on stage and i noticed because we this is when simon and i still had the, the this first venue the viaduct or whatever together the um <laughs> this comedian came in and he'd heard that nick wilty earlier had done this joke about uh saddam hussein and so and nick wilty had said something like yeah of course yeah next next year he'll be switching on the lights at oxford street all right so because it was seen as an anti-Saddam line and possibly pro-war, there was this comedian chasing him from venue to venue, going, "Where's he gone now? Where's he gone now?" Could have just read Time Out. But then see that but- I think that go, that that actually highlights because a lot of people think it's just a modern thing. They think it's now comedians are too right yeah. on and all that. But you know, the fact that alternative comedy came out of that sort of anti-Thatcher left-wing sort mm. of bubble of the eighties. I've, I've always suspected that actually it was probably all just going on back then. It just wasn't, there just wasn't Twitter basically. So it was actually. I agree. Just- yeah. I th- yeah. You know, it's just the, you know, it's just the, a new form of media that are able to amplify those kind of voices. I mean, it's changed everything that social media, just the presence of the internet, but um, yeah, it, they're really, yeah, it, people are always the same. I mean, people, you know, you got, I was just reading about the reformation yesterday and it's like, you know, the, the social media is just the Gutenberg press, isn't it? You know, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just Martin Luther dragging it down. But yeah, so it's always been, in my experience, it's always been the same. My only drag with it is I had an opportunity to get involved in it in like 83, 84 at the comedy store, comedy store. And I, for some reason I turned it down. I had like, um, I did a job for like uh, Lily Allen's mother, this fantastic um, producer called Alison Owen. And uh, she was married to Keith Allen. So they were part of the very early comedy store people but you know I was like 16 or something and I didn't go for some stupid reason I didn't go and so you know I missed out on all that sort of mid 80s thing I'd have loved to have been and seen how it evolved up because from nine my my start was January 91 and to be honest apart from exactly as you're saying it's exactly the same now but with a boom in social media it's the same psychology i never really saw its kind of inception i never saw the very beginning yeah, yeah, i'd yeah. love to have seen that you know yeah i just remembered nick wilty is um famously was he was told to get out of belfast wasn't he he did the belfast empire and patrick kilty brought him on and said it's his first time here in civilian clothes and uh <laughs> and he came on did his set did nothing Apparently, after at the break, oh. this was back in the day as well. You know, this was still this was pre yeah. Good Friday Agreement, I imagine. You know, so um, so yeah, he had a little word in his ear. Somebody came up and said, "Like, you've got to get out tonight. You're leaving Belfast tonight. You're not staying till the morning." Just said to him, "That's it." And apparently, so, so did Paddy Kilty think? Did, did they insist that that's how I want to be introduced? Did he say you must tell them? <laughs> but that was back when that like was, was previously hearing you. That was his, that was the, that was his gig then. He was the king of it, wasn't he? So. And yeah, he was very much played with that, the sort of air of threat wow. in that room. I didn't know that one. That's but good. But imagine that. Imagine just, you know, you know a gig's gone bad when you get a death threat <laughs> that's real as well. Not, not even real. just an empty yeah, death yeah, yeah. threat. He's yeah, so doing not, a lot of art now, now, isn't he? 
Who's he's an artist now, isn't he? Nick, Nick yeah. yeah, he is actually. I've seen his stuff Just on paintings. Instagram. It's very good. I had no um, idea he was even in the army. Oh really? So much I I get to know people. <laughs> <laughs> do you know? Do you know? What I I put that down to though. The reason I think that, that that's the case is that he's not you, so you don't yeah, yeah, care. Yeah. Why would about I? anything outside that couch? <laughs> um, but so yes. Yeah, Why so, would I, John? Why would I care about that? So <laughs> right, you first signed Tonkinson. That's Paul Tonkinson for any listeners who haven't seen him. Brilliant comic. Um, who was the next sort of, who were the next crop of people? Jupiter's was the next one. And uh, yeah, the, and that would be Phil, obviously. Um, so Phil Jupiter's was the next His one. His brother, Ron. In, exactly. <laughs> Dave Jupiter's, um, who was a fantastic carpenter. No, I, uh, Jupiter's was next. And you know, I never signed anybody. This was, again, it got me in trouble years later. I just like never did a deal with anyone. I just did it on a handshake. And so... Uh, Jupiter was the next one and he was the first one to kind of well actually weirdly Tonkinson got Carlton TV started so he got uh, he got like a show on uh, the new Carlton ITV I think called Raw Soup or something so I think that was the first TV gig I, I got with anybody and then like I said Jupiter had had this thing he'd been knocking around for seven or eight years I had this venue this comedy at Soho what I'd done was it was called Soho and then which I thought was ridiculous because there was only time out it was alphabetical order and s is right right near the end so yeah. you know there was like thin pickings and it was a Thursday night so you'd go there it was like one of those wine bar gigs where there'd be like eight people so I moved it to the Saturday night and went to Malcolm Hay who was the editor of you know like comedy at the time was called cabaret in time out as well <laughs> it wasn't even called the comedy section I, literally it's me and the the Helen Austin from Two Girls What Sing. I saw her. I saw her just. I think she stopped just when I was starting out. I remember seeing. I remember seeing her at a gig. They were great. They were such a good. But I saw her on her own. She was solo at the time. Oh, okay. So one girl. One girl. What sang? Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) exactly. Um, And then. but yeah, so she and I lobbied Malcolm Hay in as much as we went to the office and went, it's not cabaret. It's, you know, so we made the point that it's all comedy. And so they changed the name to comedies. That's the reason that the comedy section was uh, renamed. So he did that. I moved it to Saturday night. It went gangbusters. So it was full every week because I would just book whoever was on at the comedy store between shows. Yeah. Because we were on Dean. We had this thing on Dean Street, basically. And uh, the crown and two chairmen. And... Uh, yeah, so Jupiter's was about to quit because he'd been going six or seven years, and uh, he'd had a couple of he had a, a new baby and he had a couple of kids and blah blah blah, and you know I was totally unknown and inexperienced and nobody wanted and basically he he had six months to get get some money out of this business or he was going to have to go back and work at the uh, job center because he'd come from the civil service as his sort of day job off and on, and so. Uh, we we talked about it. I think it was John Mann who put us together, and in, and basically because he was so receptive, my sort of real shorthand, and I didn't know anything about anything at the time, was he was when I met him, he was doing this kind of Hawaiian shirt faux Steve Martin kind of delivery. You know, his it, literally his his opening line was like, "Hey, I'm sorry, I just went to the Bahamas for a minute." You know, and it was just like literally <laughs> Steve Martin. And uh, and I like things looking 
Julian's gonna. I have like that. to exaggerate what's in front of you, basically. What's that? <laughs> I said Julian's gonna have that. <laughs> that just yeah, yeah, it down, exactly. mate. I just spell it Bahamas. And all it was, I just stuck him in a leather jacket and cropped his hair and made him do big. Lo- I tell you what, it was. What about for the Kevin show? Day- What's that? <laughs> what about for the show? <laughs> exactly. I um, Kevin Day. Kevin Day was doing. This was pre lads and pre loaded and everything. You know, it hadn't really yeah. exploded the nineties, and it was just that. I, I just took Kevin Day's uh, topics, basically. Kevin Day was brilliant and was doing stuff about football, weirdly, before anybody else really was. Uh, but he was doing politics in it. And I just said to Jupiter, we basically take the same themes and take all the politics out and just make it big, loud, shouty, as violent rock and roll. And because he was really receptive, because he had like basically a six-month probation on, this, uh, on the circuit, he did it. And immediately it blew up. I mean, he just, you know... Uh, became huge on the circuit but you could at that time you know there was a lot of working gigs so it was Jupiter was the next one and then kind of everything followed on from that really yeah yeah that's I think something that's changed I was I was chatting something about this the other day I can't remember it was but about how that that works it doesn't really happen nowadays the circuit is big and you know nowadays a lot of people stay like stay in London and whatever you know and you know you I remember there was a phrase that I heard when I started out which is when a comic becomes too big for the circuit. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like when the circuit yeah. comic gets so good that they're just mm. blitzing every gig to the point where, and it was said about McIntyre, actually, when I first started, mm. he was the one people were like, he's, he's too big for the circuit, mate. And within about mm. six months, he was every, on every, yeah, he was t- Mr. Telly, Mr. Saturday Night. And um, yeah. I remember it happened with Mickey Flanagan was another one. Everyone was saying it about, yeah. and then it just happened. Like, But you don't really hear that anymore. Lee Evans was the one, I think, Lee Evans was the first one I saw do that. I think. Well, the, I, I totally uh, get what you mean because it looked, it looked almost abnormal that he should. He, he looked immortal. You yeah. Know? And this was even at the store and things. You know, he would do his Bohemian Rhapsody act at the store, and it would be. It was. You might as well have been in an arena then. It was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, we hadn't seen anything like that because we're used to it now with Peter Kay, McIntyre. Um. Julian you know but yeah it was I think if I'm not wrong Lee Evans was the the first really massive potential mainstream crossover act who had come out from the circuit and was he still had a toe in the circuit for a little while in that transition period it was it was exceptional yeah it's weird I don't know I don't know if it's now that the, the sort of the circuit itself is sort of bypassed by a lot of the people that end up getting relatively big on telly do you know what i mean it's more mm. edinburgh the bits and bobs and you know you might end up seeing they might even get they might get a netflix series before they ever just headline of like you know a, a yeah well I, I, I think like, they're even getting because they don't have uh the the attachment to edinburgh in the u.s i think that you're seeing i got i got out of comedy like too early i i got i left london in 2007 because i thought the crash was coming in 2008 basically because i thought this is all going to be wasteland and uh i should have waited a few years but I, i came here and it's been really really good to kind of really really bed into a different culture and then sort of learn show business again from the ground up in a different culture and all i was going to say is because they don't have edinburgh here they've really embraced uh social media 
yes. way more than has yet in Britain. I mean, it's happening, but yeah. there's still a kind of there's still a kind of um, nostalgia for Edinburgh. In when I first came to the states, this was the thing that always stuck with me. So I left in 2007, and kind of in my first few weeks, I was living just behind the comedy store and stuff uh, on Sunset, and um, not you know in the bins, but um, but. Uh, I went to I went to I went to the comedy store and literally it's 2007 and this comedian introduced the next guy and just said and just said uh, and the next guy up actually makes his living from stand up ladies and gentlemen <laughs> right? and that was my introduction into like ah oh, this is what's coming down the pipe for you guys and you know nobody thought in 2007 this bubble could ever burst for comedians yeah, yeah. you know and I was I, I'm always again very rudimentary on these things it's like if it's happening in america this is the this is the market research for what's about to happen yes. so all i was going to say was because they don't have edinburgh you've got people like miranda sings who's gone from social media straight to netflix mm. you know and it's it's really a kind of basic not elaborate not fleshed out format or anything it's literally just a character yeah and yeah, yeah. she she's definitely attuned to the idea that it gets picked up by another financed streaming broadcaster if you like we haven't yeah. quite got that i don't know well if you agree but that you haven't quite got the culture yet in the uk where you see that potential the joe rogans etc i mean this podcast is, is i think well, i don't know i mean the, the i'd say the first i can think of that's done it in recent in the last couple of years where it started is mo gilligan who basically went yeah, from, yeah. you know, just sort of, you know, he was, I'd gigged with him at the, up the creek and they'd signed him and he was new and he was exciting and cool. Like, but he was still just, you know, when I saw him, I thought, oh, he's a decent, young, up-and-coming comedian. And then mm. next time I started watching his videos online, they were quality. And within about a year, he was a superstar, essentially. You know, he's got a Netflix series, a Netflix special. And, you know, he totally bypassed, I think he went That's to an Edinburgh Fringe uh, to do, I, mean, I don't know if he did a solo show or something. It's very like this was he was very new and he didn't, you know, it wasn't like full of PR or anything. Just he was, and no one gave a shit. You know what I mean? Like because he wasn't doing it in the way that gets the gets you noticed. Really, you've got to have all the PR and Paul stuff. S Paul Smith as well. He did it, didn't Paul he? Smith, I guess. Yeah, he's done it off. Well, well Paul Smith's doing a slightly extent. different thing, isn't he? Though Paul Smith's doing a slightly different thing, isn't he? <laughs> well, Mo Gilligan did stand up. Yeah, Paul Smith is doing clips of stand up. Yeah, uh, it's more crowd work. His his clips that yeah. kind of he became big on was crowd work, wasn't it? Yeah, but he's also um, working Mo out Gilligan of a live the comedy sketches. base. He's got a geographic yes. base. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, which is more Hot like water. the country singers in America would do. They'd have their theater in Nashville, and they'd work just in Nashville. Say, you know, it's yeah. it's like. It, it, I'm saying Mo, Mo Gilligan's interesting because I don't think he is associated with a particular area, but he does no. fulfill that thing of over uh, uh, leapfrogging the, the hierarchy, so-called, of the circuit. I mean, that's my constant thing. It's just like comics getting onto the circuit and they're looking at, they think they've got some debt to pay to their forebears or something that they have to... I think that's what I definitely started out thinking that was it. That was the goal right. was... You know, you'd see the headliners and be like, I want to be that fucking guy. So I yeah. think, I, and that was because I started out just before the boom. So tele television wasn't even a thought. I didn't even know it was a thing. There was no, yeah. there was no stand up on telly. That was before Apollo and McIntyre's Roadshow and yeah, all that. Yeah. There was no panel show. It was shows. marginal then. When it was a fringe thing then. Yeah. So actually, I think mine, I, I sort of probably suffered from that timing where to me, just being a club comic was like, the, oh my God, it's the dream. And then I think that's now, the same here. Like I just yeah. like having a job, just playing a smoky yeah. nightclub 
as but a then job. That's why just our generation amazing. of comedians, I think, are probably the ones that are the most sort of in the in the grey area of like, oh shit, I need to do social media, but I don't really know how. You know, yeah, it's yeah, all yeah. a bit like feeling like you're sort of you're trying to get on the trying to be trendy with the kids whereas, Julian like, Dean official whereas on comedians Instagram. now are coming on where they're not thinking I don't they don't I don't give a fuck about closing the store yeah you know I mean I want to I want to yeah, be yeah, there yeah. doing doing that thing and like we had different Netflix. goals yeah yeah so I, t- I think that's probably what's what why it's also sort of uh fractured now in terms of generations of comedians yeah yeah uh, but like I said, I, you know, I think that the, the, it's it's exacerbated by, you know, certain advice and certain uh, certain sort of uh, customs on the circuit being new comedians are being ill advised to follow this kind of these guilds, these kind of um, practices, whereas it should just be, look, there's a big audience out there. You can now get to them via these means. You, it, you, it's about it's a I hate to say it, it's just about fame and money that's the whole thing that it's all about that's along the way people yeah well people have that's come your, that's Julian's tattoo he's got on his chest he's going to be on my gravestone <laughs> <laughs> you'd still pay it off eight years you. after you die <laughs> got, got, got it on tick <laughs> family I've got to pay off your debts <laughs> hand it down to one of my kids <laughs> That's what's no fame and jar. <laughs> it's uh, but yeah, I just I just feel really bad for com- comedians getting advice from previously just hanging around the circuit comedians because they're, they're they're often that you know I get calls here and it's like you know just, just I mean, for on, any kind of advice. I mean on a on a on the sort of flip side. I mean, driving around doing gigs is an amazing job compared to, oh, to like, you know job. what I mean? Like, still way I worked in a, yeah, I worked in sales for about 10 years. And it, I mean, I had great times doing that. Um, but it's fucking brutal, man. Yeah. You, know, you burn out. And I mean, doing, you know, dri- even driving around to gigs is, I still, you know, Again, when I'm on the M1 I... at 2 a.m., it's not fun. But I've got a theory that's, as well. That's the worst of it. The, I think there's a lot more people start comedy now as young as possible because they've watched a lot of it growing up when they're in their teens yeah. and all that. So when they're like 18 or they go to uni, they start doing gig, gigs then. Whereas I do, so to them, like, I think they've never had they've never had a shit job to like sort of be like, fuck, I'm just glad yeah, I'm not doing yeah. that. Yeah, so yeah, whereas yeah. if you're like our age and you've had shit jobs that you don't like, just doing comedy for a living it feels like a I think I should be a labourer on a building site totally that's exactly I spend every every time I do a shit gig or like you know do a Christmas gig or a corporate and it's just hard and you like you feel like you've already earned your money and then you realise how much you earn compared to if you if you did a shit job, it, you'd have to work about fucking ten days to like get it. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and steal off. There the is company. always that underlying feeling of I still have lucked out. So like, I think that's one thing I always hold on to. So to, and that's to yeah. not get bitter or not get sort of shitty about. But, other uh, that's, this is what I'm saying. This is the, 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 that's the interesting thing. Is like that's exactly my. You know, I gave up management in 2007, and we were quite big, but. I'm just like, I didn't get into this to do admin, you know what I mean? It's yeah, just like yeah. I fell into it. And then suddenly, from your point of view, it's like, yes, it is driving around and having fun. From mine, it's holding your coat, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not that <laughs> bothered to about that. Us to go to Can you make sure it doesn't get creased? Linda. Is that all right? Um, <laughs> exactly. It's from well, Zara. It that, 
Well, this well, once you've done it, once you've created somebody famous, you know, what I mean, once you've done it, you are just standing around. I'll tell you, uh, we did um in the in the mid nineties, there was some panel show. I can't remember what it was, but anyway, Bob Monkhouse was the host of it, and um and it was Jupiter. So this was uh, yeah mid to early nineties. It was before Buzzcocks. So it must be ninety four or something like that, and um. Uh, I was basically, you know, I was no age at all sitting in this green room while they were doing the record. And it was just me and Monkhouse's agent, who was already in his 70s at the time. I think Peter Pritchard, his name was really, really nice. And it's just like, and I honestly got a sort of a flash forward of like, if you're not careful, you're going to be 72 years old in a green room with some idiot from Cardiff not knowing yeah. what he's doing. You know, I, mean, I had like... that in um I had that in my sales job. I got this job that I really wanted and I kind of blagged it a bit. And um I got the job and I was like I had you know pension, healthcare, all of that yeah. good money, good salary in the city and I looked over and there was a guy that had been there like 30 years. I, I I was there for four. That's when I got into comedy that epiphany. I was like Right, right fuck this and then yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I thought what do i enjoy what did he doing do when he looked at you do you think uh... <laughs> he, uh, mole- he molested me <laughs> <laughs> at, the, at the water fountain <laughs> put his thumb in my ass <laughs> but i um but i said to him dad no not really but i i said but i that's exactly was my thing i was like i got this job and then once i got in used to it and oh it's just sort of you know, I'm just going to an office every day. It doesn't yeah. matter about money. This is 40 hours of my... Oh, my God. And then you've got to get there. Uh, life get of, it over, it's like, most of my waking life. That thing of, like, getting up, having to get up every day early in winter in the UK when it's fucking oh, cold and dark. Can it's dark on 7.45 at the minute. And it's just... Can I get imagine up at, having to ask somebody if you can have a holiday? I know. <laughs> that is... Yeah. Just, well, what do you mean? Because of lockdown, we're currently dog. asking the fucking dole office if we can have another <laughs> That's a different base. Eddie um, Izzard's first manager, Pete Harris, the Screaming Blue Murder people. He, because um, again, they were sort of suddenly a big hit as well in the early 90s. And so he said money was rolling in. And he said he used to take a tube ride every week at like seven o'clock in the morning or 7.30 just to remind himself. How shit it was. Why why he's doing yeah, this and yeah, putting himself yeah. through it. And it is, is it, it's, what's, I mean, this could, I and mean, we could snip this out if it feels like I'm sort of slagging someone off. But is the story true? You'd probably know because you were around then um, about Eddie Izzard binning off his agent, Pete Harris. Uh, the yeah, story I spoke about... to Phil. Phil Harris is his brother. Yeah, he... I know. It's quite because it's yeah. sort of famous apocryphal story in comedy. We could put uh, just this bit on. Patreon. We'll put this bit it on the Patreon true, yeah. actually, because basically, yeah, the story goes that Pete had really, you know, been with. Eddie he was dry, literally driving him to gigs and stuff for that period of time when Eddie was becoming Eddie Izzard, and then he went. Was it? Oh, he won, yeah. Did he win the award in Edinburgh? And I, the story I heard was he basically binned off Pete after the moment he won the award and got offered better representation. Having I think you never uh, you suggested might be mixing there was up any... stories. You might be mixing up stories actually because that was Frank Skinner with Malcolm Bailey. Oh really? Won won the award what? and that night. Oh, that's night, the one. This is the one I heard. Yeah, oh, that was Frank. signed with your agent. And uh, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> thank you. Um, no, listen, and they were right to do it. Listen, I mean, Avalon but it is fantastic. business, isn't it? That goes <laughs> on. In, it's business, but they're sure you can just time it better. Do what you do in a relationship, but just drag it, it out. Was, I mean, I'm not. I'm not like that, that ruthless, really. Even leaving my. 
my first agent was was awkward for me like you know I've, I've not got that you know that sociopathic ruthlessness i guess no well, not in that area but not in that area i mean you save yeah. it for your recreational life <laughs> yeah, exactly. i save it i save it for hinge save it, yeah, save it for your I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not on hinge i've never been on no, a date but yet. it is true it is true and listen i just want to remind you I'm in America, so I've got First Amendment rights. Any any repercussions are yours, okay? They're, they're yeah. nothing to do with me. But no, um, Eddie did fire Pete either. Harris. Pete Harris was his... Um, Pete Harris created Screaming Blue Murder for Eddie. Yeah. That was the thing. They Those, those gigs were created to give Eddie a place to... Because he had to... His style was he couldn't turn up and do 20 minutes because you need the whole evening to get the mood going, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, At least the gigs are still around, though. They're great, great little gigs, aren't they? Yeah, every every cloud. Is that what you're always saying? I don't every mind. cloud. But, um, but I, I think it came as started. a bit of a shock. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, and so, uh, um, but yeah, he did. He he got rid of uh, he got rid of Pete. I think he asked him to sign something as well. This is there's there's separate legends, but yeah, Eddie's was. He was obviously taking it badly, and he asked him to sign something that basically withdrew all um, all, all claim on any of the oh, Izzard uh, fortune. But yeah, the one you're talking about is Malcolm Bailey, who again, he had like Carolina Hearn, Frank Skinner, and like one other at the same time. He had like ridiculous rots. But again, this was what this was what informed my kind of. Uh, arm's length approach to the whole thing. Like I said, I realized I'd fallen into it and I just, I didn't want to be, I mean, I, I was, I was writing a kid's show. I, I basically, I, weirdly, I ended up meeting Shane Ritchie in that first year on some friends TV show. And then, so I started writing this kid's show called Run the Risk on Saturday mornings, which was this kind of gun it. show on live and kicking, yeah, I think yeah. it was, or going live, one of the two. So I started writing that. So I had the club and I had the the writing thing and that would have been what I would have preferred to do. But then every little, it just happened that it was an exploding market and every little kind of steer that I was giving these comedians was luckily turning into some kind of career advancement. And so I sort of got swept up in that and the money was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. It was just yeah. like money fights. Um, but I was mindful of the... Uh, like I said, that yeah, the Malcolm and the Pete Harris stories. It's like you cannot get too attached because ultimately, quite rightly, as you, as you said at the very top, this is not a team sport. You know, you've got to be looking out for. You're the lead singer. I mean, it's as simple as that, really. You've got to be solo. And so I didn't really like. I always say that for me, it was like being the architect of a building. And then the minute it's actually up and finished, then you become the janitor. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Yeah, and yeah. it's like I really like the comics, the work of the comics I worked with. Just like I said, doing the admin though, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. nah, that's not what I got in for, you know. So when you quit, not quit, when you decided to move to America and just do other things, um, what? Who did you have at the time? Who were the ones that you had to sort of go look? It's because it's a rare thing for your agent just to go look. I can't be asked. Bryden was the one main one I had. McIntyre yeah. and I had separated about two years before. Yeah. Basically, McIntyre—that's the only thing that sort of slightly bugs me. In his book, he says he fired his agent. He never fired his agent. He called me and said that he wanted me to stop doing the creative stuff, basically, because I—I I created a show called Annually Retentive, and I produced and directed and wrote that. And then I did—I did like director's commentary and the Keith Barrett show on BBC Two and stuff. You know, I was writing all yeah, these yeah. shows. 
But management, like I said, mainly is it's mainly typing, you know what I mean? But he was getting bigger, McIntyre, and said, uh, I want you to stop uh, doing these, uh, uh, basically working on creative stuff. And I was like, no, I think then you better start looking around for another agent. You know what I mean? It's just like, um, for me, I, the fact I've not had to do a stroke of work for like 30 years, I'm just like, that's all I'm really into. You know what I mean? I'm the yeah, laziest yeah. man. And so that's how we parted company. And the last one I was left with really was uh, Bryden. I still had Alastair McGowan, I think, was still on the books. But Bryden was the main one. And again, we were writing all these sort of shows together. And the last deal I did actually was Gavin and Stacey. And then I then I left, basically. Nice. It's a nice little parting. Nice little parting shot. Gift. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, I... Um, I just, I just fancied, uh, I just fancied the States, but I actually only came out here for six months, but because I basically, nobody wants to be fired by their agent and, you know, he was let go, to be honest, he wasn't, you know, he's obviously a massive uh, business in his own right. I'm just like, once you see, the trouble is once you make a ton of money as a manager, the overhead just goes ridiculous. It's like, once you've got one artist that artist doesn't want you to work with anybody else. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've got. I mean, again, I don't think I'm telling stories out of school, but when um, when Ricky, when Ricky and Stephen, Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant blew up uh, with Duncan, who's at United, I think now. But when he started, soon as they got big, Ricky made him fire every one of his artists except <laughs> him and Stephen. Fucking <laughs> hell. I'm going to do that to my agents. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I bye bye, Carl. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Me. Uh, who, who else? Um, Chris Addison, you know, Dave Gorman. Everyone's getting a fucking made, They're going, mate. So. They're going. Sense. Got to crack some eggs when, to when make an omelette, mate. <laughs> when you could still make money out of, um, out of movies, you know, DiCaprio was being paid like 20 million a year by CAA. To stay on the books. Bloody hell. That's when you know you're you're the big dog, isn't it? Exactly because I'm asked Avalon for that deal. I think that's more (laughs) suited to me. But I listen, I think that deal is coming down the pipe. I really do. I think it has to happen in Britain. It has to. Because the point is DiCaprio knew his value of every the first script, uh the script would be sent to him first, basically. So he gets paid 20 million to just be the kind of the lightning conductor for those projects. Then what you do is you get your second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth talent to actually do those scripts that DiCaprio can't do. So you make it more than twenty yeah, million yeah, back yeah. anyway. That's that's the. So I totally understand. They got DiCaprio why, why and like seven DiCaprio lookalikes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's the thing, you know. When they got rid of when uh, they got rid of DiCaprio because Julian insisted on it. Now yeah. it's uh, now that it's backfired. But the the the. I can totally understand why a big artist wouldn't want to share because you know the slog you guys have done to get any kind of profile at all. Why share it with the agent's new pet project? That's not your problem, yeah, you know. I suppose, but surely you expect your agent to have support staff that can deal with the the lesser lesser mortals. You do, you do, and and the point is, but this is the thing. Again, I've had it said to, said to me, you know, it's just like. I joined Paul Dudridge management. I didn't join uh, uh, assistant management. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? So you're just getting, you know, it's that 80, 20 thing. You make 80% of your money from 20% of the artists and you get. That's in, you know, in, in most business, isn't it? I guess certainly in yeah. sales, that is the top yeah. 5%. 
pay for like 95% of uh, the income. Exactly. Exactly. But, but, you know, you do, you end up paying tons of staff basically to carry the, the overhead, if you like. And so, you, you know, th th there is this kind of, and again, then the artist has got you, you know, it's, it's like the old thing of if you owe the bank, five million quid you're in trouble if you're at 500 million the bank's in trouble once yeah. you've got a massive artist yeah yeah especially in the, especially in the uk the the contracts are meaningless in the uk you can sort of walk out of most contracts because you've got basically common law in britain means you can't restrict somebody from trading you know especially a sole uh, performer and so the minute you get somebody massive and you kind of think like, okay, that's my mortgage for the next 10 years or whatever, they've got an inordinate amount of power over you. And I just yeah, don't, yeah, yeah. again, I don't really respond to that. So I like the, the culture of the comedians. If I could perform, I would have, but I can't because I'm terrible. And then you just kind of, you know, I said forever, you're just the bag carrier. And I'm like, and indentured servant. And I, so I just made enough money. I made a big lump and was able to just sort of throw a six and get off the board, you know? That's, that's nice. Um, and I've spent it now, though. I have yeah, spent so it. <laughs> <laughs> Long story short, the reason you're doing the podcast, you're looking for acts, you're starting the business exactly, again. Exactly. Oh, I'd never manage again. I'd never go into management again. Oh, my God. What that's would you, because if you, if you could re enter comedy, because obviously, what do you now? You write and you, you're in production and things. But, yeah, I, I make stuff. But I just make stuff. If you had I, to re-enter comedy, would it be from that side? Is it? I just want to make comedy, or would you ever? Is there other things you'd? No, I, I'm intending to come back to London in some shape or form in the next couple of years. I mean, I've got two. Start Soho uh, up again on Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> Every time, <laughs> if I ever see Harry Hill, that's all he says. He just like walks past, and goes, "How Soho?" <laughs> it's um, uh, I um. I would do it from London. See, London's got a huge amount of, again, as I was alluding to earlier, just take the, nakedly take the American business model, you know, get get into that kind of, um, uh, that, that sort of sense of using only social media, really. Like I said, Edinburgh is kind of a red herring these days. All right. I'll tell you what the significance of Edinburgh was, just as a business thing, and it's not my personal experience. There was a time when even idiots like me could have a comedy club for six weeks and the BBC would come to your gig because they'd heard something was happening. Yeah. And then I got, I mean, I was the guest booker on a kid show for ages. And again, these are considerable amounts of money when you're starting out, you know, because they didn't know about the comedy scene. Yeah. Everybody now who's running one of the networks or is a commissioning editor is, has been to, they, they basically did media training or they went to yeah, yeah, yeah. studied media at college or whatever. There's nothing, you, you have no novelty at all. So you've just become, the, the BBC now it, uh, has basically its own in-house advisors, if you like, and they're running networks on so-called alternative comedy or whatever this movement is. So there is no leverage. You've got nothing to winkle there at all. You have to find new yeah. outlets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th I, I, I think that is... I think most comics now are clued up to that. You know, when you start seeing old war horses up from the circuit popping up with podcasts or doing little funny videos you're like right <laughs> yeah. everyone's yeah, on yeah, board yeah. now the shit's changed um i've got to go shortly but um for any final final thoughts on um it's been really interesting i think our listeners will really like this 
Because you know, yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? But actually, to hear about the the cogs, the workings, it's the the, it is it's the granular stuff I'm really interested in. That's the the bit that gets me more than the. Well, I'll tell you what I'm doing now, um, which was obviously your next question. So what I've done (laughs) is. so I was, I, I basically, instead of managing, uh, I ended up coaching because I did, I, I, I spent all my dough when I came out here. I did it so wrong. It was hilarious. I came out with a load of money thinking I would just like work and like, no. And, um, and so like, I literally, I rented the house next door to Sandra Bullock. It was like, I rented it from the Gershwin family. I was ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? It was mad. It was mad. So in about three, four years, I was like totally skint again. It was great. So I just was selling this kind of info, uh, just coaching. So I, I, I created this company here and it did quite well. You know, I did live shows and stuff, just telling people the shortcuts on how you can actually uh, get noticed, basically. Yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah. at the moment, I'm working with like opera singers at the moment and I've got like a stylist who wants to be a celebrity, all these kind of you know disparate things. But I sell it as a fee. What I did because of this COVID thing, I didn't know it was going to last this long. So I sort of casually started this. Th- <laughs> <laughs> so I um, I started this uh, this tech company, basically. It's entertainmentcoach.com. And it's just an app. And so the point is, what I'm doing is kind of like uh, an Uber, but for creative artists. So you've got comedians that uh, basically can't perform or can't perform any kind of to any numbers that generate any revenue, but they've got lots of skills. And then you've got people that will be wanting to perform over the next couple of years that can't sort of learn or can't, you know, go to classes or do comedy classes or anything because of the social distancing. So it's basically just this kind of uh, like Uber matching artists and performers and entertainers with anybody wanting to learn those skills. So I've got sort of dancers, comics, uh, actors, writers, whatever. And so you just go on there, you match up your details, and then you just uh, you you charge for face-to-face, one-to-one, over-camera, Zoom sort of kind of thing. what, mentoring training. type, essentially? Yeah, coaching, advice, whatever. You know, there's a big culture in LA of the acting coaches. You know, people yeah. will wait tables to pay like 400 quid, a, 400 bucks a month to an acting coach. And the acting coach is usually just an out of work actor who's just yeah. maybe <laughs> further He's waiting along the table next door. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. This happens. This happens. Yeah. I've had I've had that story where people have been out to dinner and the waiter is their acting coach. Oh. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so, but. The, the point is that's the that's the kind of um, uh, culture here. Well, this is the thing about the the states. I'll speed it up because I know you've got to go because even I'm sick of the sound of my voice. But it's w- what you had in Britain, and I was really lucky from the 90s to 2007, was that there was just a passive revenue stream in lots of from lots of different outlets. Yeah, that's yeah. gone for you guys now, and it's horrible. In yes. in America, they never had it at all. That's, I think that's it. It created America's sort of whole system and uh, culture and comedy and everything created that sort of you've got to just hustle. Whereas I do yeah. think it's only in the last few years British comics of any caliber have had to start yeah. getting the fucking hustle on because things have got a little bit tighter. Exactly. Patreon.com/slash/we-are-tvi. So of... <laughs> Throw us a bone, guys. Well, no, you say Julian's that. Julian's always a... hustling, mate. 
No, well, the, it, there's a section on the app for, you know, to, to teach people how to do podcasts, all that kind of stuff. So it's basically putting anybody that's a professional in the arts with anybody that wants to be a professional in the arts or wants to like, you know. It's a bit like a dating app for the arts, isn't it? To learn as really opposed is. to. Once Julian signed up, it will be once you get my profile on there. <laughs> Julian's bio is. It's, it's well, that's the next. That's the a, next thing I'm doing, basically. Well, it's a grinder. <laughs> Why has Julian got a torso photo on there? <laughs> He's offering to write help write jokes. Hey, uh, um, but yeah, that's so that's that's a good idea though. I think it's. Yeah, sounds. And it's your plan to make that a global thing. It is. Yeah, it's already up on the it's up on iTunes already, and you know, on the App Store and all that. It is already a global thing. But I'm just we put it out sort of unfinished because it's it takes longer to actually get it finished and then get Apple to approve. So we got approval first, and now we're just sort of backfilling all the 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 necessary. You know, so you'll be able to you'll be able to just schedule Zoom meetings, pay. You know, people actually be able to make some revenue in this downtime. It's a great idea, um, isn't it? Yeah, it's a it's it's a neat technology. I'm really really pleased with it. But I think the proper rollout will be from January the first. It's kind of symbolically, cool. but we just never expected this COVID thing to go on so long. So I kept yeah, dragging exactly. my feet on it. Just like can't be another month. It can't be another month. So round about beginning of November, I just like hired a bunch of uh, uh, engineers on it, and so we're just getting all the components in. So you should be able to just and we do it by time zone. So technically you could hire a comedy coach or a writing um, coach or any kind of uh, any, any kind of person with experience. And you could be in London and hire somebody in LA, but the calendar will coordinate you by time zone as opposed to uh, like Uber would with geography, you know? Yeah, so that's, yeah. that's the logic. But I figure, you know, the feedback we've had on it so far has been, I think we've got like a thing in Forbes coming up. They're, they're into it because it's one of the last kind of real retail cash money kind of places you can guarantee making some revenue is by, you know, sharing advice on how to write, you know, yeah, for yeah, instance. Yeah. And it also fits in with the sort of modern, what, what you'd say, gig economy, isn't it, where people do things yeah. of their own. You know, it's not the old nine to five days, is it? People are doing all sorts you can work for money. Exactly. Nice. Exactly. Oh, and, and you just think of the amount of experience that you've got. And like I said, this is for dancers. You know, I've got circus skills, magicians, and any. I've got like 15 categories in the first rollout. But you think about the amount of skills you've got and the amount of advice you give new comedians. It's like that's actually that's actually truly valuable experience. That's truly valuable information, rather. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So, well, you you had to put the time in to learn it somewhere. Could you even so. do like a writing workshop for people, like workshop this is the, on their, exactly. their comedy, help them with their bits and punch them up and stuff like that? Yeah. It's, this is what we just had added uh, this week is the group. Yeah. You steal their bits. <laughs> That's my app. Steal my bit. <laughs> so yeah, so it'll be. It's definitely That's my um, bit. Group level. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, so yeah, what's anyway, the, the what's the name of it? Entertainment coach. It's called entertainment, entertainment coach. coach. All right, cool. That's excellent. Right. Yeah, so, um, it's been well, really good. It's really interesting. No, thanks for coming on. Thanks for um, coming on, Paul and oh it's been genuinely listen i'm not just saying this it's like because when, when, i know julian um you know irl and uh a bit and uh 
you know, you listen to people's podcasts you know, initially, kind of go, yeah, it's, it's good. It's a genuinely, genuinely an actual proper avid listener fan. It's oh, like, cool. it's, a, it's, it's a really, well, you know how difficult is that just because it's get. brilliant or is the. <laughs> it, well, it was today. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, <laughs> this has been, this has been, I'm not saying it's a high point, but I think that's what we're all thinking. But, just listening ironically to see why we're still going. <laughs> it's, really, it's, a, it's really, really good. It's this one and um, No Such Thing as a Fish. I, oh, they're, yeah. they're my sort of go-tos. It's very good. Um, I heard you. that one. You've never you never listened not? to any other podcasts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. True. <laughs> Unless it was just, you just listen to YouTube's uh, psychopath documentaries on the move. <laughs> oh, were they not pod? I thought they were podcasts. <laughs> listen to Pornhub just in the background. I just watch CCTV. <laughs> Sometimes it's a bit uh, slow. It's a bit slow uh, during yeah. lockdown. Anyway, um, right, let's wrap this up. Paul Dudridge, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, thanks for having thanks me. For listeners. Thanks for coming. Listening. Um, do you want to plug the Patreon one more time, Julian? You've managed to get about five subliminal ones. Um, Patreon.com slash we are TVI. R is the word. We are TVI. <laughs> Join us. Um, or don't. You don't have to, obviously. Um, and one final one. Obviously. Any, <laughs> apart from the app, can people find you anywhere, Paul Dudridge? Like your something. home address i was you know i was just lost in that for a minute uh yeah just you know at paul dudridge on twitter or something uh you know it's um yeah just at paul dudridge on twitter is probably the best one i'm not really anywhere i'm just like yeah just at paul dudridge that'll do okay <laughs> i can't imagine why anybody would want to find me for anything i don't you know. know people do that now and people just follow people uh, i always get yeah. people just adding me on facebook just randoms right right just out of but, blue just and i look on their profile and it's just probably a fake profile, just some nineteen-year-old. Who's the most famous one. person you've got following you on Facebook? I don't know. I, I don't know on Facebook or even on Twitter. Actually, a boy George followed me about a year ago on Twitter, and I got quite excited. Now I saw that he follows about so. eighty thousand people, and I was like, well, he's, "I think he's just got an app." Or like that's really good though. But um, I yeah, I've got quite boy I mean, George. Weirdly, that's a, that's got, a that's a heavyweight Twitter, name. I've got a lot more Twitter, like sort of. I've got some high-profile Twitter followers because I do actual jokes and shit on Twitter, whereas Facebook, mm-hmm. I don't really do much on. I've got a lot of big comics following me, but I guess we all have, haven't we? Because we're all comics. Com- yeah, exactly. But um, anyway, let's just wrap this up rather than... I'll let you go. I'll let you go. Donald, Donald Trump over follows me. social media follow- Donald Duck. Donald, Donald Duck follows me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one we all want, though, isn't it? Anyway. One, um, he's only following one, me. <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Paul for joining us. Take it easy, everyone. Bye. Yeah, I'm going to change the podcast. I think you're going to change the podcast. I'm going to change the podcast. I'm going to change the podcast. I'm going to change the podcast.